0: Welcome to the Athenaeum Review Podcast. Uh, we're here to talk about an exciting new film, which is entitled John Wilcox, The Relinquishment of Time, which is gonna be screening um, here in Dallas and elsewhere um, over the next um, few weeks and months. Um, and I'm very happy that we have the uh, filmmakers here to talk about this film. You can find out um, more about the film um, at explorinary.com. That's explore, E-X-P-L-O-R-E. Denary, D-I-N-A-R-Y.com. And uh, I'm here today with um, Dr. David Wilcox, um, who is the brother of John Wilcox, the subject of the film. He's a child and adolescent psychologist, um, and he continues to work on the archives of John Wilcox and manage um, John's artistic estate, um, as well as being uh, the uh, co-editor of the book series, the Wilcox series, a six volume, Work documenting the exhibition of John's work at the Wilcox Space in Dallas from 2013 to 2018. Um, David, thank you very much for being on the podcast.
1: My pleasure, Ben. Thank you.
0: Um, and I'm also here with the Filmmakers Explordinary, um, a creative agency founded in 2015 by Sarah Reyes and Daniel Driensky, specializing in documentary filmmaking, photography, and art. Um, the pair travel the world collecting stories that encapsulate the human condition and celebrate the depths of its expression. Um, Daniel and Sarah, thank you so much for being with us.
2: Thank you. Thanks
0: for having us. Okay. Um, So David, maybe I could start by asking, um, can you introduce us to John Wilcox and and who kind of who he was and what his art was about?
1: Sure, Ben. Uh, John was a um, sort of contemporary minimalist painter. Uh, who lived in Texas most of his life, uh, was born up in Denison, Texas in Grayson County up on the Red River. And um, really started painting around 1980 uh, and um, then went to California for two years uh, and lived in a, a bunkhouse on a ranch up in the Santa Barbara Hills uh, from about 1980 to 1982, and then eventually came back to Texas. Um, he lived later in New York um, and uh, moved there in 1985 to 1989, and um, and then had to come back to Texas for health reasons, uh, where he remained the rest of his life. Um, He showed primarily with Barry Whistler Gallery in Dallas, um, but also showed with Fawbush Gallery in New York, Um, had numerous shows both in New York uh, and Dallas, and was also featured in various uh, exhibits around the state of Texas during his lifetime. And John died um, in uh, 2012 from uh, a kind of cancer that emerged <clears throat> from his HIV related illnesses and really and really since that time you've been working
0: on these different projects to to help preserve um, his legacy as an artist in different ways um,
1: yes I um, John and I were, we were very close. We were only the two of us. And it's, it's really ironic. He spent his whole life as a painter, but never thought about what would happen to his work after his death. And we never talked about it. And then uh, when he did die, um, we really discovered this enormous body of work that he had um, some of which had been shown, other pieces had never been shown. And in all, we've um, we decided to archive those, catalog them. Uh, and then with the help of Barry Whistler and Jim McGee and Rick Bertel, we created a, a place to exhibit those works uh, and I think in all, there were probably close to 150 canvases that he painted in his lifetime and over 300 works on paper. So it's been a kind of a rich body of work to work with. And um, I know
0: that um, the film covers a covers really a, a whole range of, um, of that, those periods and, and his work. And I, I also wanted to mention that the, um, the film is going to be screening on October 3rd at the Dallas Video Fest. Um, and you can find out at videofest.org. And it's also going to be on KERA on, uh, KERA's frame of mind on October 28th and, and details are on artandseek.org. Um, so, um, Sarah and Daniel, I wondered if you could maybe kind of introduce us to this film, um, that you've made and kind of, Maybe talk about how you how you went about it and how you how you made the film.
3: Well, the film is not only a portrait of John um, in a way, but it's also asking the question: When an artist dies, what happens to their artwork? And we we followed David's efforts um, to preserve John's estate, and we actually met David um, through the artist Arthur Pena in late 2017. Mm-hmm. So all of his efforts. Uh, all of his efforts with the Wilcox space had already been going on for several years. So we kind of arrived um, to tell a story, but kind of late in the story. So we had to kind of work backwards and figure everything out. We wanted to tell a complete story and the film ends up um, being right around an hour. Mm -hmm. So within that hour, we, um, within that hour, we try to um, talk about details of the Wilcox space, um, interview people that knew him personally, that can speak to his character. And then also people that can um, academically speak about his artwork and minimalism and the meaning behind it. Um, and, what- and
2: also I think as documentary filmmakers, you know, the aim, the intent is to tell a story that is truthful. And there's, but there's so many facets to truth, right? There's who is John as um, an artist who is John as a human being, and who is John in the canon of art history. And all of those things um, are really interwoven um, through, and as Daniel was saying, there's people that knew him personally, and that was more of an emotional experience. And there's people that didn't know him, but knew his work from an academic perspective. So that's more of the logical. And so together, you're able to kind of understand him three-dimensionally through all these different facets of truth.
0: That's that seems really interesting. I, I, I wonder if um, if there was maybe in your mind um, examples of like those different facets that you described, like maybe someone that you would could talk about who who portrayed a certain aspect and then in contrast to another.
2: Yeah, so um, this the the entire time that we were working on this, David was also working on cataloging things. And so we would interview people and maybe ask certain questions but not fully understand what they were telling us. Mm -hmm. And then um, some of the some of the major breakthroughs for us as storytellers came when we went to the lake house and we saw the catalog, the working catalog that David was working on that kind of had more storytelling behind some of the paintings. And, And then also he sent us over scans, digital scans of John's journals, which revealed a very intimate, um, uh, uh, kind of in-depth look at some of his struggles. And I think that really humanized and, and explained to us, you know, what he was going through and, and truly that all his struggles in life, um, he was able to, um, get through with his art and, um, you know, and it's this—it's this classic story that anybody can um, can understand. It's the struggle to to want to be yourself in a world that maybe doesn't understand.
0: I'm curious whether, I mean, um, being—I mean, obviously, being creative artists yourselves, and you've worked on all kinds of different projects. But um, I wondered what what it's like if you're if you're making something about another artist. where there were there moments perhaps where um, where you identified or or had felt like your your own process of making your own work maybe you related to something that that he was doing
3: most definitely most definitely and uh, specifically more towards the archiving of our work and seeing yeah. everything that that David's going through now and and think having to think about uh, John's archive um, since John was so busy creating and didn't didn't quite think about what would happen. Um, after he was gone that's got us thinking about um, journaling and documenting our experiences when we go to film something and then also thinking about um, how to archive our pieces for for afterwards and
2: yeah and also you know in retrospect whenever you're kind of going through the process of being an a working artist you know you remember certain struggles but then the, those struggles kind of diminish over time, but it's, it's so useful for someone else reading about it to understand like how those just seem so like enormous, like enormous struggles, but then you eventually prevail, you know, you <laughs> yeah. move past it and move on to the next struggle. And that's just yeah, how yeah. life is. Um, yeah.
0: Well, um, David, I was also I was also curious um, from your perspective. Obviously, um, you you have a a deep, broad, profound understanding of of the totality of, of John's work and so forth. But um, I wondered when you um, when you looked at this film and and saw what um, Sarah and Daniel had done. I'm, I'm curious uh, about your your response and and maybe were there things that you were not expecting or or anything that maybe at all change your perspective on John's work through through the
1: medium of this film well that's <clears throat> that's a good question then it um, I sort of conceived this film initially uh, as really you know we had the whole Wilcox space experience yeah. which went on for you know close to six years and the community of people who came together to study, explore, view John's work was just amazing. And that's what really touched me about the whole experience. And so I approached Arthur Pena, who is an artist and uh, was involved in the Wilcox space. And I said, Arthur, do you know anyone who can just kind of film this because I uh, I'd like to have some home movies to help me remember this experience. And I had conceived of it maybe as a 10 minute little set of video. And so Daniel and Sarah got involved and um, and really took the story to a whole nother level. And um, I think, and I'm just gonna speak for myself. My sense was, there was something about John's work and what we were doing that they could relate to. Mm. And they took that and really ran with it. And so by the time they said, Oh, we finished this. Why don't you take a look at it? I was just astounded. Mm. I, I really, I think they picked up on not only John as an individual and as a brother and a very sensitive sort of soul, but also um, his work and kind of what John was trying to say on so many different levels. So, um, for me, I was I was just astounded mm-hmm. viewing the film. Thank, well,
3: thank you for that, David. That uh, makes us feel really good and. Um... That's the main thing that we need to hear after I, completing I would that. like
2: to add that, um, you know, we did talk about it being a shorter piece. And, and really, in as we began to speak to more people and, and really do- dove into the work, um, it became apparent that this was not a short piece. And um, it, particularly when it comes to, we do artist profiles all the time. That's what we do. And this just merited... More of our time and more of more um, of our space, you know, within the business, and we were just very fortunate that David gave us that time, gave us that space, you know, to to complete this in a way that we felt was appropriate.
0: I wonder, and this could this could be to to anyone or everyone. Um, is there a um, a particular, maybe a particular work of Johns or a, a particular like episode um, that you might point to as uh, something that really is a, a good example of kind of what what he was all about or what he was up to. Um, obviously, people will see a lot more in, in, in the film, mm-hmm. but just like a little taste.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I really like, uh, I mean, there's so many different, so many different works. I mean, I think um, Eternal Rest is probably the most phenomenal piece and um, that's kind of revealed in the film, but maybe even also. I personally really love open book bat. That tells me that's a painting where it's uh, kind of this white cream background, and there's a shape that has this gestalt quality to it, where it's kind of a looks like an open book, but it could also be a bat. So it's this black and white piece, and um, so it's it. He's playing with language. with the title being open book bat. He's playing with shape um, as a conceptual uh, component. And he also, there's like this little strip of rainbow material um, where he's communicating something deeper. He's talking about uh, sexuality. He's talking about, you know, um, something that he would like to reveal, or maybe that he feels like he's being an open book and I thought that piece was really powerful. And I thought that it just, it's its a form of visual communication that I found very compelling.
1: Yeah, I would say one thing that I loved about this film and working with Sarah and Daniel is, um, as they were doing the film, of course I was continuing to archive and I would come up with these, you know, little bits of notes that John wrote about paintings uh, and I would feed that information to Zara and Daniel. And what is interesting in the film is uh, there are several works that are highlighted with voiceover from Daniel that includes sort of some of the material I was pulling together. And I, I think what I loved about that was it gives the viewer a kind of deeper look into the work, uh, aside from just the visual experience of seeing it, um, and they did that with a number of pieces, and it was, it was marvelous.
2: No, so it's uh, with minimalism. It is um, there. There's a statistic where when people go to museums, they look at a painting for about fifteen seconds and then they move on.
1: Yeah, and
2: yeah. with abstract art with minimalism, I. Would presume that for people that aren't educated in art history, maybe would even be less time standing in front of that piece yeah. of art. And for me, John's artwork being um, abstract or minimalist um, and simplified to its very core, it it still has this incredible narrative behind it. That if you if you start to dive into it and and read into even his color choices. You know, there's so, so many clever um clever moves that he makes yeah. that you're just it's it's fascinating. It's it's storytelling at an incredible level on a visual level.
1: Mm-hmm. One thing I also loved about the film was uh there was a a polyptic work that John made. Um shortly after coming back to Texas called Crucifix and that work was taken in by the a conservatory studio um, at the Dallas Museum of Art and the conservation team there was trying to figure out how to maybe work with a tideline stain that had happened and so Uh, Ben and Sarah were able to film Laura Hartman in her work with that piece. And you you get this incredible story about how that piece was made. John uh, used organic material to make his own pigments for all four of the panels and, So you, in the film, you get this enormously rich story about a really complicated piece.
2: And you see how um, art conservators at the DMA who, you know, are educated in this very topic, they try their very best to kind of replicate the painting. And you just see copy after copy after copy where it's just it they never quite um, are able to replicate the, the texture and the scale that he was able to do. So you get an understanding of how labor intensive the work was.
0: Speaking of, um, I mean, speaking of his, his labor and, and work and so forth, there's, um, uh, I thought of course that the, um, the title of the film, or I guess the subtitle, The Relinquishment of Time, um, is, is very interesting. And I find that his work, um, it certainly makes, makes me think a lot about time. And it, I mean, in all kinds of different ways in terms of like his, his process and the, just the, the sense that we have of, of going through time. But, um, but I, I wanted to ask, first of all, I guess about, about the title and maybe how you decided on the title and, and kind of what it means.
3: The title actually came about from um, reading John's notebooks, and um, we kind of, towards the end of the film, kind of bring that title full circle, but um, what was the specific quote in his notebook? Do you remember, do you remember, David?
2: So he's talking about the, um, the sound of a bell, how uh, there's, uh, in Buddhism, <laughs> there's the concept of impermanence. And so <laughs> he utilizes the bell shape as a visual symbol for impermanence, and he talks about how um, he, he he paints as a way to, um, um, I guess, honor the relinquishment of time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's um, these very labor-intensive works. He's he's literally documenting you see the uh, you really feel the 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 way that he's kind of encapsulated the time in these works mm-hmm. um and and i think you know when you're looking at these works in person you really feel his time on mm-hmm. that canvas mm-hmm. and that's something that's always stayed with us and i think was the motivating factor for that kind of being the title of the film Mm -hmm. But in the quote, it it was directly from his sketchbook. And maybe, uh, David, you might have some more background on that.
1: Well, I I think he, like you said, he was sort of focusing on this Buddhist principle of of impermanence and timelessness and not getting so caught up in time, but also using time and letting it go. Um, And that that is part of you know, seeking a certain sense of peace. And, uh, you know, I think if you step back, it's so ironic that, um, you know, John was focused on time and I mean, he spent hours and hours and hours on each work. I mean, some of the later works would take months to just lay down the surface of the canvas. But ironically, you know, John lived a life after he was diagnosed HIV positive with a very short set of time. You know, he was uh, living under the guise of maybe developing AIDS, and um, so he didn't have a lot of time. But it's through this immersion and discipline of the art and and really not worrying about time that he achieved what he wanted to achieve.
0: I know, I mean, speaking, speaking personally, one of the things that really sticks with me about his work is, is this these things that you all have, have just mentioned, the sense of, of just imagining kind of the the labor and the hours and the patience and, and everything that, that went into these extremely careful, meticulous um, process that, that you see in the result. Um, but then this this other the other kind of aspect of time, I guess, that um that is also really sticking with me is is just the way, and, and you'll have touched on this already, um, you know, thinking about as 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 we go through life and then at the end of our life and what's what's left afterwards and 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 how you know how we're in, I guess like the river of time or whatever you would call it. Um I guess um what I'm thinking about is is the way, you know, this is. This is all i mean it's, it's, it's all very recent like these things what, what we see in, in the film is, is from not um, not that far in the past but but it, but in this at the same time um it it's, it can be kind of striking to say oh you know I, this thing that happened 20 years ago or 30 years ago and um it it already seems it already seems so far away like even though it's only yesterday and that kind of paradox of 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 having something that's very recent still feel Kind of like it's already it's already slipping mm-hmm. away, I guess. so I guess the question maybe that I might ask would be, um, you know as you as you look back over and see these moments from John's life in the film, um, are, are there, I wonder if there are particular moments from from the from the recent past or from his past that you see in there that um, that maybe come to mind as kind of striking or um, like something that seems like almost a different world from, from 2021. Um, if that makes sense, like some, something that it seems like it's already hard to remember, even though it was Mm -hmm. only a few years ago.
2: Right. Well, I, you know, one thing that was super interesting is we finished editing this during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, I was kind, it was, um, at a place where we were kind of putting together the segment where he, uh, Realized that he was HIV positive. Mm. And that was happening parallel with all the new breaking news about the this new pandemic. And it really drove home for me, uh, the kind of parallels between um, these two kinds of um, pandemics separated by time, but we're essentially dealing with the same issues again, it's mm-hmm. becoming politicized, it's becoming, you um, you know, there's a sense of um, danger. There's a sense of uh, not knowing what's going to happen and this fear. I mean, there was so much fear at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, just going to the grocery store, you know? And so it, for me, it really opened up like, the kind of world that John must have been living in when he was in New York, when he was seeing all these gallerists that were friends and artists that were realizing that they were becoming HIV positive. Like, what is the future going to be like for them? Are they going to make it through this? And, And it also reminded me, you know, that so many people didn't make it, right? And so this is a chapter of art history that, because you know, so many galleries closed, because so many artists passed away. There is so much art history that is not being told because of those lives that were lost. And um, we're just so fortunate to be able to be telling this story kind of through John's perspective and, and kind of recuperate some of that narrative that was lost in art history. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, oh, David,
1: reading. Well, I was—I was just going to say—I I think, for me uh, personally, uh, the the whole issue of time in this film, and I'm so glad Daniel and Sarah sort of caught this and sort of ran with it, is um, that you know I you do look back, and I remember those days in the in the late 80s, when so many of John's friends, many of whom I knew were dying of AIDS. And uh, and then when John found out he was HIV positive, the reason he came to, back to Texas from New York is he really assumed he would be dead in a couple of years. And, uh, and that was really a given, I mean, there was there was no vaccine, there was no sort of medical intervention. And so I think they did a really good job of bringing that to life in the film. Um, and you know, helping the viewer kind of understand that because many of the younger people I met through the Wilcox project, artists and conservators, um, they're too young to remember the AIDS epidemic. And so I think they've gotten a little bit of taste of it with this current pandemic, but I think Daniel and Sarah did a great job bringing that to life in the film.
0: Yeah, I mean, just personally, I mean, I was I was kind of like middle school in the '80s, roughly, and I I just remember as recently as two or three years ago thinking like, oh yes, all of that like, all that that whole period, like, well that that happened then, but it, it wasn't crossing my mind that you know just another year that. What he said, Sarah, that that we might be thinking about those things so so soon and so intensely. Um, well, just uh, may- maybe just sort of wrap up. I could I could ask each of you um, both with respect to um, John Wilcox and and otherwise, if if you might want to say something about kind of current projects or um, or what you're working on or will be working on or maybe anything I forgot to mention previously.
3: I just wanted to say a new thing that we just learned um, in the past week about this film um, is that it will actually be showing at the Lone Star Film Festival as well, uh, which will be in November, the week of um, the 11th of November. But what's really cool about that is it'll actually be showing um, at the Modern in Fort Worth. And this is a place where um, John worked as a mailroom clerk and met his future gallerist, Barry Whistler. So we really feel like Getting to show this film there uh, really brings it full circle, and we're we're so honored to show it there. So I just wanted to make sure people knew about that as well.
0: Awesome, yeah. I'll, I'll be sure to put links to that in the in the show notes, and and the the modern I I will emphasize is such a is such a central place. Um, I mean, like absolutely, kind of the center of the whole art world around here. So that's that's super cool.
1: And on my end, we're continuing to finish the archiving and the, the volumes will be coming out in probably January or February. Uh, and <clears throat> excuse me, while there's not a great uh, number of volumes uh, or copies, uh, we'll be distributing those. And then we'll see what happens at the film after all the film festivals.
0: Excellent. Well, again, um, I'll just mention, I'll go in the podcast show notes, but on October 3rd, it's going to be at the Dallas Video Fest. You can see it on videofest.org, the details of that screening, as well as October 28th on KERA, um, and there's details on artandseek.org. So we've been speaking today with uh, Dr. David Wilcox, as well as um, Explordinary, that is Sarah Reyes and Daniel Driansky. And uh, thank you all, very much for talking about this film John Wilcox The Relinquishment of Time which I hope everyone listening to this will see as soon as possible
3: Thank you Ben thank you thank you, thank you. okay